um, this morning. We're going to carry on our theme, looking at various stories and looking at what our lessons are for this time, for this moment, for this um, corona crisis, uh, whatever it might be. What does the scripture have to say to us through the various stories? And it won't surprise you to know that this morning we're looking at the story of the resurrection. It'd be a bit weird if we weren't. And there's so much um so much in it for us to pull apart, but there's just um, there's two or three things that I want to pull out. So why don't we start um, by reading from um, John chapter 20, and we'll start in verse 1, and it says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's an extraordinary story. And there's, like I say, there's two or three things that I just want to pull out. And the first of those is, she thought he was the gardener. She thought he was the gardener. Why does the writer um, tell us this? This is a feature that doesn't come up in any of the other accounts but it says that she thought he was the gardener and I think um, to help us understand this there's this principle in scripture when you're looking at how to interpret scripture when you're looking at what's what's going on here and there's this principle called the principle of first mention when it's the first time that um, a garden or that thing is mentioned on this in this situation a garden or a gardener and which obviously takes us right back to Genesis And uh, this isn't the only hint in this passage towards Genesis. It starts with, in the morning, on the first day, whilst it was still dark. Which takes us right back to the very beginning of Genesis. It says, in the beginning, there was God and um, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters. And then on the first day, God said, let there be light. And there was light. This moment when God is creating. And the writer hints to this right at the beginning of this passage saying on the first day of the week 
which tells us that there is a new beginning. This first day of the week happens again and again and again through scripture, or this first day of the month, or this first day of the year. It happens again when, when Noah's ark, um, that whole story comes to an end. It says on the first day of the first week of the first month, that's when the, the ark is opened and the animals and everyone comes out. Um, it's a new beginning. There is what was has passed, and there is a new beginning that has come. There is a new moment. There is a new day. There is a new time that has come. The old has gone. Everything has changed. The new has come. And that's what the writer's hinting at here. And again, he reinforces that by saying she thought he was a gardener, which is this throwback right back to Genesis again, when God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. There's a God is up to something new again. This is the beginning of something new. What was has gone, what now is, is come. And what is being restored is this relationship where God works with us in the garden through creation. This separation that happened there, this disconnection that happened there between um, us and God, between us within ourselves, this brokenness and disconnection that happened within us this disconnection and brokenness in our relationships where we become it becomes about rivalry it becomes about competition it becomes about power it becomes about um, enmity and control this disconnection between us and creation where we try and oppress and manipulate creation for our own good what the writer is saying here that this moment when the tomb is empty, this moment when Jesus rises from the dead, this moment when death is defeated, all of that is defeated. Now there is this invitation to be reconnected with God, to be reconnected within ourselves, in the core of our being, to be reconnected with each other and have relationships that aren't about power and control, but relationships that are about love and generosity, to be reconnected with creation. So we're not trying to suppress or oppress or manipulate creation for our ends, but we live in harmony with all creation. We are invited to be reconnected and restored and renewed in every way that we can. And this is what the writer's hinting at when he says she thought he was the gardener. He's taking it right back to that initial point of sin this that initial point of profound disconnection and saying this is the end of them this is the beginning of the new and so the new begins the tide is turned the kingdom is come god now is no longer distant now god is entirely present with us you no longer need to live in the brokenness and the pain and the suffering that maybe you've been accustomed to because of this day you don't have to live like that anymore because of this day restoration is available to us hope is available to us in a way that it never was before god is indwelling us in a way that he never was before this relationship is restored. And that's very similar um, to another imagery or links to another imagery that's in this story. As Jesus dies on the cross, as he dies, it tells us that this curtain is ripped, that this curtain is torn. And when it talks about the curtain in the temple being torn, torn this, this curtain is in place to separate God and man, because if if there is this strong belief that if man came into connection with God, was able to see God 
fully, then our, our only response would be to die. And so what happens is they have this curtain. Um, and once a year, one priest is allowed to go in behind this curtain to bring the atonement of all the sins of the people of Israel. Once a year. And even then, when he goes in, the scripture says that what has to happen is they have to tie a rope around him so that should he die encountering God, no one else has to go in to get him. They can pull him out with the rope. That's how they viewed this relationship with God. That's what the Sesset was. And so the symbolism of this curtain being ripped, and this curtain wasn't some little curtain that hangs at our window. This curtain was inches thick, and it was 60 feet high. And this curtain ripped from top to bottom, saying that no longer do we need to be kept separate from God. No longer does God need to be kept separate from us. Now we are invited into this relationship. We are invited to be indwelled by the Spirit of God. We are invited to be in relationship with our Creator. This is the beauty and the joy and the power and the mystery of the Easter story. It's a beautiful story. There's a couple of other things I want to pick up um, from this um, from this story that we read, from the scripture that we read. And it says, I just want to recap. Um, so in verse 3, it says, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, this strikes me, and you might have heard me talk about this, but it strikes me just as quite amusing, because here they are at this defining moment, the greatest moment in history, the turning point of the tide, as we've just talked about, the moment when everything is restored, when, when death is overcome. And John's telling this story, and John, for those, is referring to himself here as the other disciple or disciple that Jesus lived, loved. And, and John is telling this story. And he, whilst he's telling these stories, he's going, oh, you need to remember, like, so, so this, yeah, so um, she came in, she told us all about how the tomb was empty, and so Peter and me, we started running for the tomb. We were both running, but I ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. Not only did I run faster, but the outcome was that I reached the tomb first. It's like, so I was the fastest. Can we just, I mean, I know that this is a big story all about the resurrection of Jesus, and this is all about the turning point in history. This is the center of all history and humanity and whatever. But what, what I don't want to get lost in this little narrative is I was pretty fast. I, I ran pretty quick. I don't know. I mean, I, I remember when I was a child and then, or a teenager, and I stayed over at my friend's house for a few days because my parents had gone off on a trip to America. And so I was staying with him for a few days. And he was a runner. He used to run for Lancashire, I think it was, or um, Greater Manchester, a couple of what our counties were at that point. And so he was a runner and he used to run nationally and whatever. And, and so he used to go training every day. And I decided I'd go training with him every day. And there was this one day in all these days I was with him that um, I managed to keep up with him. And not only did I manage to keep up with him, but just as we were around from the last corner to his home, I, I still had enough left to overtake him and get there first. And I won. Now, this guy was a great runner. I was not a great runner, but on this one day, I won, and I still remember it today. And this is this is kind of what it feels like maybe John's doing. He's kind of going, oh, look, no, I, mean, I know this is a great moment of history, but I just don't want to miss the point here that I was fast. Like, I ran fast. And so he says, so he, and he, and he, so he labors the point. He goes, the other disciple, I, outran Peter. Not only did I outran him, but I reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen. I didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along. 
behind me, because I just you might have forgotten just in those two lines there that I actually got there first and he was behind me. And not only did I run the fastest, but I also got there first. But the other consequence of me getting there first is that he was behind me. I just want to emphasize that he was behind me. And he went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, I, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And I saw and believed. So, uh, did you all get that? I was quite fast there. Like, it's, it just seems like quite an amusing way to tell the story. And, that, and my point from this is, you know, sometimes... Um, we can find ourselves reducing our gospel to being all about us. Sometimes it's an incredibly huge story that is about the restoration of all things. We can make it just being about us. And look, we are important in this story. But what's important to remember is it is so much bigger than that. This gospel is so much bigger than that. This gospel is huge. This gospel is all-encompassing. It's about the restoration of all things. Death is defeated. That's bigger than whether I ran fast or whether or whatever else might have happened. Death is defeated. This is the day that death is overcome. Love won. This changes history. This is so much bigger than just about me, about me being right or me believing the right things or me, or whatever, or my calling or whatever. And all that stuff is important that I'm, that my calling is important and that I am loved is important. But this is so much bigger. And sometimes I think we can lose sight of the vastness of this gospel because we make it quite an individual gospel it's just about whether you're saved or not it's just about whether you pray to prayer or not it's just about whether you believe or not and actually this is so much more than that this is about all things being made new all things are being made new all things are being restored to christ all things are being healed renewed restored and we are invited to join in. We are invited to join in. This isn't a story where we are the central character, but it is a story where we're invited to participate. It is a story where we're invited to be part of it, to join in, to, to extend that transformation that we see with us and bring that to the whole society and community and people all around us. This is a story we participate in, not just believe in. This is a story we join in with rather than be the central character of. This is all about God. This is all about him. This is all about Jesus. And we are invited to join in. And the final thing that I want to pull out of this story comes just a little bit after that. And it's that Mary stayed. Mary stayed. And it might seem to be a little less than obvious thing, but what's really interesting is these disciples, they ran and they raced each other and they got there and they went in and they could remember like where the linen cloths were and they could remember where the head cloths were. They got all the information and then they left and they went home to where they come from. 
marrying state. And I think there's a lesson for us in this. You know, in this day of information and data and whatever, like sometimes I think we just fall into the trap of just getting the information, just, well, what's going on here? What's the story? I'm, I'm notorious for this. You know, when um, we go to museums or we go traveling somewhere, and very often we'll go traveling with some really good friends of ours and, um, and we'll go to museums or we'll go to historical places or whatever. And what's, what's really interesting is that two of us love to kind of walk around and get the general vibe of what's going on and we'll, and we'll move around quite quickly. And, and the other two in this party of four tend to read every plaque and look at every little thing and take hours, which I could have walked around three, four, five times. And they're still working the way around. And sometimes I just find myself sat there taking the whole in, but not reading every bit of information. Though. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. It's about different personality types. But what strikes me here is sometimes I think in our this age of information, we're very good at getting all the data, getting all the facts, making sure we understand everything, working out our theology, working out the information, and uh, whatever it might be. And that's what these disciples seem to have done. They've rushed in, they've got there, they've looked at what's going on, and then they're a bit confused. And the writer himself says they didn't understand. They didn't understand what Jesus had to rise from the dead. And, and then they've gone, they've gone back to where they came from. And what Mary did, and what we can learn from Mary is she stayed. She sat in the pain, in the loss, in the confusion without the answers, but she, Mary stayed in the pain. And maybe she let that pain do something to her. She submitted to whatever it was God was doing, even though she didn't understand what God was doing. She surrendered to it and she stayed and she wept. She stayed in the moment. And I think sometimes we can get, we can miss it. Sometimes we can miss it because we're busy getting the right information or asking all the questions or working out all the answers. And those things aren't necessarily wrong, but we can be so busy figuring out the data that we miss the moment. We can be so busy. And you see these pictures of people and there's a, a great sporting moment and everyone's got their phones out and everyone's recording it or a great concert or whatever. Everyone's got their phones out and everyone's recording it. And no one's in the moment, experiencing what's going on. They're all recording it, remembering it, collecting the data, but they're not living it. They're not in the moment. They're observers of the moment. They're spectators of whatever it is that's going on, but they're not experiencing that moment, maybe. And Mary stayed in the moment. Mary stayed in the mystery. Mary stayed in the mystery. And again, so often I think, whether it's around whether it's around the Easter story, you know, and you can have all these conversations, we can have all these questions about what does it mean and what was God doing and what does atonement mean and which atonement theory and what happened on the cross and what does resurrection mean and how does that what does that mean for me today? And how do I understand what theologians think what and what people, how do I understand all of this? And what about, and we can have all our 
questions. And sometimes it feels like I encounter sometimes people who go, well, if I, you know, if I can just answer these questions, then I'll believe. And I go, well, that's not really faith, is it? That's just collecting data and assessing it. And that's not necessarily wrong in itself, but there seems to be an aversion to mystery amongst us sometimes. And there's a beauty to the mystery. You know, I reckon talk through all the different atonement theories and the different theologies and the different of what went on on the cross. And I can talk about mimetic theory and I can talk, I can talk about all of this stuff, but you know what? I can't explain fully what happened on the cross. I can't explain fully what happened in resurrection. I can't explain fully what it means for the creator of the universe to become man and to live amongst us on earth. How does that work? What happened in those days where Jesus was dead before he came back to life? I have, I know the theories, I know the different theologies, but it's a mystery. And sometimes we feel really threatened by the mystery, but there is such beauty in the mystery. We don't have to know all the answers. And it seems that the disciples came and collected all the data and left. Mary stayed in the mystery and the result of her staying in the mystery was that's where she met Jesus. Mary stayed and encountered Jesus in the mystery, in the pain, in the moment. We were invited to sit in that mystery. Communion is a mystery. Communion is a mystery. And I want to invite you to sit in the mystery of communion, where we are invited into love. Where we remember the crucifixion, where we remember the resurrection, where we remember when Jesus said, this is my body, which I, which is broken you so take and eat and do this with each other in remembrance of me it's a mystery god with us god incarnate god's body broken for us so that we can be his body ourselves so that together as his church, we become the body of Christ. It's a mystery, but it's a beautiful mystery and we're invited to share in it. And after he broke the bread, he took the wine and he said, this is my blood is poured out for you. Take this and drink this. We are invited into this mystery. The kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the renewal of all things. Christ alive in us and through 
us. This is what we celebrate on this day. This is what we celebrate together when we meet together, whether that virtually or physically. This is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. The love has won. The death is defeated. And we are invited into love. Joe, do you want to lead us in response?